you can turn to Mark chapter 1 with me. Mark chapter 1, we'll be dealing with verses 16 through 20, and we welcome you to week number 2 of our series, Hooked. Uh, Someone came up to me last week after the service, and they told me that they were disappointed in the sermon last Sunday because they saw the title Hooked, and they thought I was going to be talking about pirates. And uh, that is not the case. Uh, we've We've been talking about fishing and being fishers of people, and I will admit that I probably know more about pirates than I actually do fishing. I'm not much of a fisherman. I enjoy it, but I don't do it very often. Here is a quick story just to validate my lack of knowledge of fishing. In my sermon, I talked about catching a bunch of bluegill, if you were here last week, with my friend uh, from North Vernon. After the service, Karen Caldwell comes up to me, and she shows me this picture on her phone, and she said, Uh, Were any of your bluegill this big? And I said, is that a bluegill? Now, (laughs) those of you who are fishermen, you understand just what a dumb question that was. And I appreciate Karen not saying, no, dummy, that is not a bluegill, that is a halibut. But uh, uh, that's a big old fish, and I have never caught anything quite like that. I'm not a fisherman at all. But the type of fisherman that Jesus is talking about is fishing for people, and he compared the kingdom of heaven to a fishing net. He said, we are to lower the net. We are to extend the net. He compared the kingdom of heaven to that. And Matthew records it this way in in chapter 13. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water, caught fish of every kind. And when the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. And so as we continue to look at this idea of the kingdom of heaven being like a fishing net, we're going to expand on it a little bit today from what we did last week and take a look at some of the interactions that Jesus had with people in the New Testament. We're going to, we're going to take a look at who they were and, and how they responded to the call of Jesus, what we can learn from, from their response, what we can learn about our own faith uh, sometimes as we look at the people that God has placed in our lives. What are the broader implications of of spreading wide the the kingdom net. What does that mean to us as followers of Jesus, right? And so we learned last week that our job is to participate in the spreading of the kingdom net. In other words, our job is to participate in the gospel of Christ. It's our job to share that message as much as we possibly can and gather up as many people as we possibly can. And we understand that if we do our part, we know that God is going to do his part. But he's invited us to be a part of that process. Isn't that pretty amazing when you stop and think that God has has partnered with us. He has trusted us with the most important thing in the universe. And that is witnessing to people and making sure that they know about Jesus Christ. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he trusts us. But it all starts with this divine invitation where Jesus says to people in the New Testament, and he says to us today, follow me. I want us to look at Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. You can follow along on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. And if you promise to uh, just see your uh, Bible app on your phone, go ahead and take your phone out and, and do that. Don't, don't do TikTok or anything like that. Okay, all right, here we go. Not that anybody would do that. All right, here we go. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 20. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. 
Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. And he called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. Okay, incredible story of people hearing just two words that changed their lives forever. How many of you have ever said two words that changed your lives forever? Married couples? Okay, for the good, for the good, right? These two words are different. Jesus said, follow me. What a simple invitation. You would think that something of this magnitude, something this great, something from the creator of the universe, an invitation of this magnitude would be much larger than this, you know? It, It would require a much flashier invitation. You ever received one of those invitations to a wedding or another event that you look at it and you're like, how much money did they spend on these invitations? Has anybody ever thought that before? And, and you would think that, a, that an invitation to something as important as this would be this big flashy uh, trumpets and all this sort of thing. But no, it's just follow me. And notice that Jesus didn't make any promises with this either. Right? He didn't say, guys, listen, if you follow me, I'm going to make sure that you have all that you ever wanted. Contrary to what we hear sometimes in some messages, he didn't say that. He didn't say, listen, if you follow me, I'm going to keep you from having trouble. I'm going to to keep you from having any heartache of any kind. You're not ever going to have any hardship. No, No sales pitch, no flashy presentation. Jesus just said, follow me. Now, if you were in Andrew and and Simon Peter's shoes, there would probably be some questions, right? When this guy Jesus comes up and says, you know, follow me, you would probably want a little more information to make a final decision. You would at least want to be able to call a friend. And this whole scene makes you ask the question, what else is going on here? Because Jesus says, follow me, and they immediately dropped everything and followed him. Who would do that? I mean, I know he's the son of God, but it's not like he put some trance on them to make them follow him. No, something was going on uh, maybe prior to that or at the same time. And I think here's what was probably happening, right? We turn back to John chapter 1, and and here's what's, what's happening here, beginning in verse 35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went uh, with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, the point of this story, I think, helps make the other uh, uh, 
situation more clear, right? These original disciples that Jesus called, I think they had some kind of idea who Jesus was when Jesus comes around and says, follow me, right? John the Baptist had been going around for quite some time. He'd been talking to people like we read in John chapter 1 verse 35 that Jesus was the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God was a reference to the sacrifice sacrificial lamb that all the Jews knew about, right? They knew that was the Messiah. The Jews had been waiting for this for centuries. Not to mention, news traveled fast in these small communities. If you grew up in a small town, anybody grew up in a small town, and, and uh, you know, word gets around real fast, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so I think this is what's happening here. Word gets around that there's this guy claiming to be the Messiah, and they're talking about it, right? You hear whispers about the Messiah at the dinner tables and in fishing boats and at the local Chick-fil-A. They are just... They probably had Chick-fil-A back then, right? It is the gospel bird, right? No, okay, anyway. But anyway, Jesus shows up in front of Andrew and Simon Peter and says, follow me, I will show you how to fish for people. When John pointed out Jesus to his disciples, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so basically, John the Baptist was saying, everybody around here, look, this is the, the kingdom net has been lowered. Look, here he is. The Apostle Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The Apostle Paul was saying, here's the kingdom net. This is what you need to do. When you ask your neighbor to come to a special event at church, or you ask your neighbor if they would like to talk about the Bible, if they'd like to talk about Jesus, you are extending that kingdom net. You are saying to people... Jesus wants you to be a part of the kingdom. When any of these things happen, there's an invitation being extended. And when we extend that invitation, we are extending the edge of the kingdom net that God is trying. He wants everybody a part of it. There's a term that, that I don't know if it's used much in, in ministry circles today. I haven't heard it recently, but we used to use this term, a foot-in-the-door ministry. Right? In other words, what type of ministry can we perform that might compel people to want to come into the church? What can we do for people to extend the kingdom net that might want them to pursue Jesus? What can we do to get people to the edge of the kingdom net that has been spread out for us? At some point in your life, somebody probably invited you to Jesus, or they invited you to church and you found Jesus. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe you grew up in the church and you don't ever remember what it was like not coming to church. I know we've got several of you in here who are like that. Maybe some of you didn't have that kind of an upbringing, and you're here today, and, and you're listening, and you've never, <clears throat> you've never made that decision, or you're watching online, and you've never made that decision to follow Christ for some reason. He has extended the invitation for everyone who has ever had breath to follow him. And what he expects from us after we follow him, he expects us to extend the invitation to other people. Right? We don't just, we're not supposed to just keep it for ourselves. Think about this for a minute. The gospel means good news, right? And all of us here today, we're all more than willing to share good news with people when, when we have good news, right? You get a new job, you get a promotion, you get a pay raise, you have a grandchild, you take a trip to Hawaii, we talk about it, we post about it. The gospel is inviting by nature because good news is always worth sharing, we talked about last week how, how the kingdom net gathers fish of every kind. 
Or said another way, the net is indiscriminate as it gathers. And this is a great reminder for us as we spread the kingdom net to other people. If we're, well, if we're willing to share, how many of you have ever done this? Have you ever, like, you get to talking to a stranger, maybe you're on a plane, or maybe you're just sitting at the mall and you're people watching, waiting for somebody to get, and, and you just start talking and you realize maybe you're both grandparents or your parents and you take out your phone and you share a picture of your kid or your grandkid. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We do that kind of stuff all the time. Or, or maybe, maybe you're you're in a place and and somebody has, uh, maybe somebody has on an IU sweatshirt. You go, oh yeah, go Hoosiers! Like, and you start talking. And you're willing to talk about uh, IU or something of of that nature, right? We're willing to do that very openly, very honestly, very enthusiastically. But why? Why can't we do that with Jesus? The most important person ever. And we keep him to ourselves. When we look at scripture, I I, I think sometimes, here's what I think. I think sometimes we are guilty of being screening agents for God. You know what I'm talking about? We look at people and we're like, well, that person probably is not going to be open to hearing the gospel. Or we look at people and we go, oh, I don't know if I even want to mention the gospel to that person. You know what I'm talking about? Have, we, have you ever been there? We, we're, we're like screening agents. We're, we're like, we are going to make sure that, that the people that we invite in are, are, the, are the, the clean people, the pretty people, the people that have got their act together, the people who are like us, like we talked about last week. And when we look at scripture, we learn that the disciples are not this perfectly polished group of people, Right? The early followers of Jesus, all throughout Scripture, you see a bunch of messed up people that God changed their lives and used for His glory. You, you think about just a couple of the guys in the Gospels that followed, the original 12, right? You, well, Peter was an uneducated, mouthy fisherman, and God used him in a mighty way. Matthew was a tax collector, and tax collectors were absolutely hated. And if the people in the New Testament who followed Jesus were pre-screened for the for kingdom worthiness, how many of them would we have picked to say, oh yeah, you're in? How many of them, when we, if we would have known him before and we're handpicking for Jesus, the original 12, how many of them do you think we would have picked? And that's why I think sometimes we as Christians are the one doing the pre-screening. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, that he's building his church. Right? He's building his church, and he's gathering up this group of people, and this is what it's going to look like, as we talked about in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. So in other words, the, the kingdom is open to everyone. For God so loved the, who does that include? The world. That's everyone. Isaiah 49, 6 says, you'll do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you'll bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so in and through Christ, this invitation is extended to everyone. No pre-screening, no value assessments, just the good news of saving faith for everyone. 
And what we see in response to Jesus and his first disciples is a radical response to his invitation. It's a radical response, and it's an immediate response, right? As I've already mentioned, these original disciples, they probably heard whispers of Jesus. John the Baptist was busy preparing the way. We know from the original timeline, Jesus was baptized. He's whisked away into the wilderness. He's tempted for 40 days and nights, and then he begins his ministry. And it's likely that the early disciples had some inkling of who Jesus was before Jesus ever shows up. And so let's look at the response of these guys that we've talked about earlier, Andrew, Simon, James, and John. Simon and Andrew, they left their nets. When did they leave their nets? At once and followed him. James and John, he called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. At once, immediately, these guys did what Jesus was asking them to do. And I don't know why it is, but sometimes we sit around and we hem-haw around, and we're like, well, I just don't know. And, and, And we think about it, and we think about it, and we think about it, and then we get turned around a couple of times, and it's years later, and we still haven't done what Jesus is asking us to do. At once... Immediately, these guys left what they knew, they left their comfort, they left their security, they followed Jesus, they literally walked off the job to follow Jesus. You think about that for just a moment. Simon and Andrew dropped their nets while James and John, they left their dad standing in a boat with all the hired men. They, they left their dad, they didn't even, not only left their jobs, they left their dad too. Because they believed so strongly in who Jesus was. That's an incredible, incredible thing. Can you imagine doing something like that to answer the call for Christ? Maybe some of you would do that. Maybe some of you have done that. I'm guessing most of us would struggle with that. And for the rest of us who aren't Jesus, it's our job to simply extend the invitation for everyone to join. Everyone to join. Some are going to respond. Some are going to respond in haste. Some, it'll take months. Some, maybe years. Some people will never respond. But here's the deal. I think sometimes this is what I'm guilty of. I get wrapped up in closing the deal making the sale, so to speak, you know. All God has asked us to do is plant seeds. All he's asked us to do is extend the net. And their response is between them and God. The invitation is what we're called to do. And I'm going to take it a step further and say it's not just a suggestion. We're commanded to do it. Right? No pun intended, but we're not off the hook in this. So drop the nets. Get them out there. Do whatever you can possibly do to get people interested in Jesus. And maybe you're sitting out there today, again, maybe watching online. You're thinking, Ron, you don't understand. I've tried it before, and it hasn't worked. I just don't, I don't, I don't want to do it again. Can I encourage you to try again? Remember last week, the story of Andrew and Peter, and they're in the boat, and Jesus said, cast your nets out here where it's deeper on the other side. And they said, Lord, we tried that, and we, we were up all night, and, you know, no, cast it over here. They, they did something different. Jesus asked them to do something different. And they pulled in so many fish that it tore 
tore the nets. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper, let, your, let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night, didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were full of fish, and they began to tear. Simon Peter said, Lord, if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Listen, guys, Jesus did say so. He said so to Simon Peter. He said so to us. This is your job as believers in Jesus Christ to spread the nets. Let down your nets again and again and again and again. Don't give up. There's a lot of fish in the sea that need to be brought in. So step off the boat. I think that's the, that's the problem with a lot of us, right? I think what happens sometimes, we give our lives to Christ, we're baptized into him, and then we just think we're headed for heaven now, and that's all we need to worry about. I think we forget sometimes that, that we're not on a cruise ship. We're in a fishing boat. You know what I'm talking about? Where we think, okay, I'm on my way to heaven. I'm just going to cruise through life until God calls me home and I'm going to go to heaven. I think there are far too many Christians in this world who want to cruise to heaven instead of getting down out of the boat and walking with Jesus. Start walking with Christ. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. You ever notice that Jesus never said, accept me? We do that a lot. We 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 brought this phrase into the church that really isn't into the Bible about accepting Christ, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but we're never commanded to accept him anywhere. He just said, follow me. Follow me. And he wants us to follow him so that we can be like him. I remember Rick Ashley saying one time, Jesus doesn't want us to like him. He wants us to be like him. He wants us to do the same thing that the early disciples did. He wants us to answer the call. And when we do answer the call, that should compel us to invite anyone and everyone to come along for the ride. Extend the invitation to others. It's the greatest, most amazing, challenging journey that any of us will ever take. And we should want to take as many along with us as possible. Following Jesus, as many of you know, and as many have learned throughout history, it's not easy all the time, is it? A lot of times it can be very difficult. One author put it this way in the book, Invitations from God. She said, my experience with following indicates that it can be even more difficult than leading. Following requires humility, risk, attention, awareness, and guts. It means serving someone else's agenda and following her or his cues. Following requires that I let go of my own way and trail the leader. But everything in me resists trailing behind someone else, especially when I think I can make my own way or lead just as well. Following for any length of time tests both character and steadfastness. Following is not easy for most of us. Laying down your own agenda getting off of your throne of your world and letting Jesus have his rightful place. And it'll cost you. You know? It might even cost you everything, but what are you going to gain in return? 
You're going to gain eternity. You're going to gain an eternal family. You're going to have divine love and acceptance like you've never known before. So Jesus is saying, drop the nets, step off the boat, answer the call, extend the invitation to others, share the good news. This should be our absolute highest priority. William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, this is how he puts it. Some men's ambition is art. Some men's ambition is fame. Some men's ambition is gold. My ambition is the souls of men. As our worship team comes this morning, let me ask you a question. What's your ambition? What are you striving for? When you sit down and you make a list of the things that's most important to you, the things that you want to accomplish, where on your list is bringing people into the kingdom net? The way I read scripture, it should be our top priority. And if it's not, you need to be praying about that. You need to be in scripture. You need to be uh, talking to people about that. You need to be seeing what you can do to make that, what you can change to make that your your top priority. Maybe some of you are here today and that's not your top priority because you've not made that decision yet to follow Christ, to repent of your sins, to be baptized into him. We want to give you the chance to do that. Um, maybe you're here today, you've already made that decision, but you're looking for a church home that, that uh, you can be a part of a ministry that, that uh, is doing their best to spread the net to gain people into the kingdom. We're going to ask you to stand, and, and uh, this morning as the worship team plays this song, if, um, for those of you that need to make a decision, whether it's first time, whether it's transfer of membership, or maybe you're here today and, and uh, you, you don't want to make a public decision, but you just want to spend some time praying with God about, God, help me to refocus, help me to get my priorities where they need to be in terms of spreading the kingdom net. Whatever it is, take this time to just be obedient to what God is laying on your heart. Let's, let's pray together.